0: It's kind of the fundamental aspect of, of our being, I exactly. think, yeah. is asking the questions, exploring the world around us, mm-hmm. uh, doing the best that we can. And and, and again, I, I, maybe the one thing in, in the present day, which would be hopefully uh, something that would come out of this, is is to have everyone just be a little bit more compassionate and appreciative of each right. other. Um, you know, yeah. we're, we're so quick to pass judgments on people's ideas and yeah, and, exactly. uh, and close out people when it's not that one person is evil and the other person yeah. is are you know great or vice versa it's it's that this is you know what makes the most sense to them based mm-hmm. on everything that's happened based on their brain and uh, it's a bigger picture it's a bigger yeah. picture
1: Welcome back, listeners, to another podcast with Doctors Who Create. I'm Shiv, one of the podcast leads here at DWC. We hope you enjoyed our June Spotlight series of the NYU Medical Humanities Program. My co-lead, Darlena Liu, worked really hard putting that content together while gearing up to study for her Step 1, so kudos to her. This week, we hear from a doc who is and has been doing some really interesting research in neurotheology a field that studies the neuroscience of religious and spiritual beliefs. This director of integrative health at Jefferson University Hospital will tell us how he came to these interests, what they mean for his life and medical practice, and what they mean for humanity. Let's sit down with Dr. Andrew Newberg to hear what he has to say. your research and interests revolve around the intersection of kind of religion neuroscience and spirituality so i was wondering what kind of got you interested in this field and pioneering neuroethology?
0: So, uh, yeah, so I mean, it really goes back to when I was a kid. I was uh, raised in a, a reformed Jewish household. Mm-hmm. Uh, we weren't particularly religious, but um, but certainly there was an openness to it. There was a sense of, of a spiritual. But I was also encouraged to ask a lot of questions. And and I think one of the, the issues that was always very problematic to me, really even to this day, is you know why are there different religions? And why are there, if we're all looking at the same world, how come, How come there are Republicans and Democrats? How come there's different religious traditions? And so uh, as I started to explore that, kind of a question, like the fundamental question really is how do we understand reality? I I thought, well, it's got to start with the brain. That's what's helping us to ask all those questions and to try to figure out the answers to those questions and sorting through all the information. But also, as I went through my my schooling and education, realized that there were certain limitations that science had in terms of studying the brain and human consciousness and, and human beliefs. And so, Uh, I started to take classes in comparative religions and philosophy, uh, Buddhist and Hindu uh, ideologies and things like that. And so all of this was kind of swirling around. And then as I got into medical school, I wound up meeting two very influential mentors, one who was in radiology and nuclear medicine named Abbas Alavi. And he was the imaging guy who I got to know and learn about all the neuroimaging techniques. And then the other one was a a fellow by the name of Eugene DeQuilly, who was a psychiatrist, but also an anthropologist by training. Mm -hmm. But I kind of started working with them to some degree in parallel. But then at some point I kind of said, well, gee, if we're using brain imaging to study Alzheimer's and depression, why can't we use it to study spirituality and and various practices like meditation and prayer? And that's really what what started the whole sort of neurotheology concept, at least from my perspective, in terms of trying to blend these two together. And, of course, neurotheology as a term actually goes back – even further, like the very first mention of it is in a book by uh, Aldous Huxley back in 1961, oh, okay. a book called The Island, where he just sort of mentions neurotheology, but doesn't really talk okay, about I see. what it was. And then over the years, there have been several other scholars, but it's been a you know, very exciting field and, and continues, I think, to to be able to, to look at these kinds of questions in a lot of different yeah. ways. And, and that's been the, the basis of my work over the last 25 years. And, and in many ways, I, I do consider it to be kind of a combination of both the scientific as well as spiritual pursuit right. and yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of looking at it from both perspectives.
1: And I feel like this recently, the, the focus has kind of in society shifted towards more mindfulness and looking at the intersection of these kinds of things. Do you do you feel like when you first started studying it, there was kind of pushback or like people were questioning like why you want to
0: study something like this? Definitely people raised the question about whether <laughs> I should do that uh, as a young faculty member mm-hmm. um, and whether that was a good good career move. Right. Um, I mean, Part of it was, and and I hope that this is true even to this day, is that I've I've always tried to take a fairly balanced approach, a a middle ground. I've tried hard to kind of look at both sides. And so maybe I'm naive, but I haven't really ever gotten a whole lot of truly... You know, vehemently oppositional yeah. kind of uh, responses, and I've I've been fortunate to be I've given presentations to atheist groups, to philosophy groups, psychiatrists, radiologists, religious groups, yeah, you know, yeah, theologians, yeah. and all that, and everyone seems to find pieces that they can they can draw from and, and appreciate. So that's part of what to me is is an exciting part of that, which is to be able to look at and uh, bring to everyone Mm -hmm. these kinds of ideas, these kinds of questions and and help them to find their own paths. Yeah. It needs to be a conversation listening both sides. But it's definitely become more, uh, it has become become more more acceptable and and more and more, certainly in the healthcare profession, recognize the importance of of the spiritual and the psychological as well as the biological. So it's, it's, it's getting there, but there's, there's still a lot of concerns.
1: (laughs) And so, Through through your research, what have you found is like the connection between, I mean, how does spirituality and religion, how is it manifested in the brain and how does it
0: affect the system? Sure. Well, you know, we've scanned uh, the brains of at least about 400 people doing all different kinds of practices, meditation, prayer, different spiritual practices. And part of what myself and my colleagues have tried to develop is a fairly comprehensive model of all the different parts of the brain that become involved and and I guess maybe part of the answer to the question is is that there isn't just one part of the brain there isn't just one spiritual yeah. part okay. of the brain that lights up you know on an MRI right. scan when you when you think of God it's it's multifactorial and I'm in an integrative medicine department so it's not even just all what's in the brain mm. but how our brain connects to our body and I think when you realize the, sort of the richness and the diversity of these practices in the context of what people do, you know, when people pray, I mean, sometimes it's very cognitive, sometimes it's very emotional, sometimes it's experiential. Sometimes people are moving their bodies, sometimes they're not. They feel it in their bodies, yeah. sometimes they don't. And there's such an incredible breadth and diversity in these experiences. Yeah, there isn't just this one one piece. So, so our model actually has become fairly comprehensive I in see. terms of looking at all the different parts, and then it's always a matter of how you activate that. So if you, you know, if you do meditation, you might start with your frontal lobes and then eventually affect your autonomic nervous system. If you're drumming or dancing, you might start with your autonomic nervous system and, and eventually affect your frontal lobes. So it it becomes very complex, but it's been fascinating to see, you know, how these different parts of the brain and body work together Mm -hmm. to help us have these spiritual experiences. Yeah, that is interesting.
1: And do you think after all these years, uh, you said you were raised Jewish. Has it changed the way that you kind
0: of look at religion or the way you practice spirituality or the way you think about these things? Well, I think for me, one of the main things that I've learned from all of it has been an openness and an understanding and perhaps a a a sense of compassion for everyone's viewpoint without seeming overly idealistic. I mean, you recognize how important every person's beliefs are for who they are, yeah. and so you appreciate that. I, I think there's 7 billion religions in the world if there's yes, 7 billion yes, people. Yes, yes. No two Catholics look at things exactly the same right. way, and, and clearly Catholics and Muslims and Buddhists, I mean, they're all looking at the world a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So so part of what I've... I've Developed, I think, is an appreciation for the different perspectives that people have and and recognizing that each of our brains is kind of looking out at the world and trying to do its best job at, at understanding what's out there. Yeah. And so it isn't a surprise that people come to every different possible conclusion. You know, it depends yeah, yeah, on yeah. how you were raised. It depends on your genetics. It depends on who your friends have been, who your teachers have been, what experiences you may have had, where you've traveled. And then you, you start to learn and find your own yeah. perspective. So I'm each sure of us is unique. A...
1: Yeah, 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 that's true. And I'm sure through your, through your experience, you've seen this vast majority of brains, you've come across ethical boundaries and looked at maybe like some extremist brains and, and things like that. Do you have any stories or examples <laughs> of times that you kind of were just surprised of the findings that you saw or... Well, like a physical manifestation uh, right. or something that you like, can't believe in
0: person or something like that? Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I can't say I've ever seen anything that was truly miraculous, yeah. uh, so to speak. Yeah. But, you know, again, I, I've, I've tried to restrict what we can say based on what our science can tell us. Right, right, right. You know, to some degree, we have had different ideas and different hypotheses of the areas of the brain that would be involved. And so it's always very rewarding when we see, when we see that because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know... Again, without yeah, and and you know, without sounding grandiose, I mean, I guess this is somewhat true of all of research. But whenever you do a brain scan of something for the first time, it's like walking on the moon, I mean, you don't really know exactly what you're going to get and so you know when we did our prayer study for the first time or our study of uh, you know muslim prayer our study of speaking in tongues or different like you don't know for sure exactly what you're going to see oh, yeah. so that's so exciting. that's always exciting yeah. and 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 sometimes we do see things that are a little bit different than what we had anticipated and sometimes we don't so so that's always kind of interesting and exciting to see. Now, you know, I certainly have seen some fascinating people. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the, the common things that I often get are, are people who claim to be the messiah or, or, or some religious individual who yeah. want us to, you know, me and my colleagues to try to prove that they have something or their yeah. brain is so uniquely sure, different. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, one of the other problems, I guess, ultimately, is that, that our brain's our brain doesn't change all that much, so a, a ten or fifteen percent change in our brain could be a very, you know, could wind up with a very dramatic exactly. difference in how a person yeah. is thinking or behaving. Uh, so, so there's always that problem. And as I often like to also remind people is that. To some degree, the most incredible thing I could ever find would be if somebody had some incredible, you know, mystical experience and we saw nothing changing in their brain because then maybe we would have found something that was not biological, that it really was a spiritual or non-material thing. And, uh, you know, for me, neurotheology is open to all of those different possibilities yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's definitely we can't just restrict to the how physical, we think, with, to the physical yeah. right and especially you know a billion Buddhists out there and Hindus and and yeah. you know many of them look at the world completely differently That's almost true. inverting yeah. the whole process that that consciousness is primary mm-hmm. and uh, and our physical world is a manifestation of some fundamental consciousness yeah. uh, so you do you know,
1: think your view kind of changed to this perspective over time? Or do,
0: yeah, um, I, I think early on I realized that there was going to be that that important limitation. Yeah, so okay, I, okay. you know, to me there's always kind of an ongoing evolution of ideas, and uh, and so right. each time I learn something, that gets thrown into the mm-hmm. pile of things that help me to try to figure out what's going on. But there there's still. A huge amount for us to left to learn, and, right, and I right, guess that's right. maybe the the other thing that's important to know that uh, that I've learned from the all of this. More questions you ask, the more that come up. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and and that, but that that to me is part of what's very exciting about neurotheology right. as a concept. You know, I, I one of the things I talk about uh, often is is the sense of a, a passion for inquiry. You know, that, mm-hmm. that we just keep asking questions. Yes, and uh, I've been very fortunate to have some wonderful people mentors and students who I've worked with over mm-hmm. the years and colleagues who just love to ask questions and yeah, it's great to yeah. get us all in, in, into true. a room That's and, true. well, what about this and yeah. what about that? And, and that, that gets into the creative process too, mm-hmm. I think.
1: Exactly. And you mentioned that you've looked at some interesting brains and I know in class you you mentioned the the patient or person who doesn't have any pain, pain. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. doesn't have those nerve endings. So right. so what, what uh, kind of brains come to mind this, or like salient patients that you were just like astounded to see?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it it is, I guess, part of why, uh, where I'm always excited to see is, is just what their brains look like. And, and you mentioned that, that study, I mean, we were looking at pain. One of the things that was somewhat interesting was that we had kind of a healthy person who, when he experienced pain, you know, lit up in the sensory areas of the brain. Mm-hmm. When the person with congenital insensitivity to pain, when we, when we put his hand into the painful, uh, it was cold water or ice cold water, yeah. that um, he registered sensory activity because he, he feels that something's different. He just doesn't register pain. It's the pain, okay. But what was particularly fascinating, we also had this uh, Shilin monk who basically just had such control of of his mind and his body that when we put his hand into the pain uh, painful stimulus, he just there was nothing. I mean, there was it was oh, almost wow. as if nothing was happening to him. So he wasn't even registering the reaction to the wow, to the wow, sensation. Wow. And so, and and they, uh, it was part of a television program. And when they did other things with him, where he could break things and do different things, almost like with his mind. So it was it was very impressive to yeah, see yeah, that. Yeah. You know, again, there's always sort of that more metaphysical question about so what so you what know, is, is this yeah, real and, and, and what is it what does it mean and, and all that so uh, but those are those are part of the questions too you know right, those right, are right. those are questions that should not be you know we don't shy away from them bec- even if science itself today can't answer them uh, and that's yeah yeah um, I, I wrote a book called principles of neurotheology and one of the points that I make in there is that you know we, we can work with what we have today but there's a lot you know our science is only as good as it is today right and we're going to get better brain scans and better ways of looking at things and maybe we will be able to image the soul or image God or, yeah, or, or yeah, yeah. you know, assuming that they, they exist, um, with future and, technology, with future technology you know, that. just mm-hmm. because we can't do it today doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't exist. Right, it right, just right. means we can't look at it. Right. Exactly.
1: And I know you, uh, you, you mentioned your book that you wrote. Uh, you've also written a bunch of other books, including How God Changes the Brain. And so are you working on any new material, or what's kind of the direction of your research and interests now?
0: Um, well, we're definitely working on more. One of the projects that we're working on right now is going to be called Varieties of Spiritual Experience. Mm-hmm. And it's a modern uh, revisiting of the very famous book by William James called The Varieties of Religious Experience that was published about 100 years ago. Oh, wow. With, you know, current knowledge. And, okay. And the brain scans yeah. and talking about what people's experiences are like and how it affects them in different parts. Well, did of the that
1: brain. one have any scientific basis? Oh or? yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. oh, which one? The original, the, the hundred years ago. Well,
0: yes. You know, it was okay. based on psychology. Was, okay. You know, yes, and so you know, individual patients and reports. But that exactly. I mean, our part of it too is that now we have a lot of data. We've run an online survey of a couple thousand people's spiritual experiences, oh, and, wow, okay. and of course, we have hundreds of brain scans from ours and, and other studies. Mm. So, so there's a lot more that we can begin to look. At and and try to figure out based on that. So so we're starting to do that. I'm beginning to look at different traditions. I, mm. I think ultimately neurotheology can be applied to you know every tradition yes, um, yes, and yes. look at Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and so forth, Buddhism, Hindu, and and many others, and and try to understand sort of where the specifics of those traditions, the doctrines, the beliefs, the practices, how they fit in and tie in with different aspects of the brain's mm-hmm. functions. So so there's that. And uh, one of the most recent studies we did was actually one that looked not just at brain activity levels, but looking at neurotransmitter systems. And that is a whole other, yet another area of, right, right, of right. work where we can begin to look at, okay, you know, it's not just whether the frontal lobe lights up, but also what's happening at yeah. the level of, of serotonin and dopamine Great. and how that all fits together Mm. into the model so um uh, and the model is really just you know kind of a a framework upon which we can look at how these different traditions and practices interact with our brain yeah 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 but again there's there's bigger philosophical questions for us to engage as well
1: right do you think um these interests in spirituality have at all reflected in your practice and the way do you still practice medicine do
0: I still practice?
1: Yeah, or see actively see patients. Oh, uh,
0: yeah. So, uh, yeah, my career is is fairly diverse in terms of the things that right, I do right, on a right. given day. And, and I have patients who I see. We do have a lot of ongoing research projects, some related to right. spirituality, but some also related to integrative medicine and how we treat people, you know, looking at things like diet and nutrition and lifestyle right, right, and right. meditation. And plus, there's the, the brain imaging and, and the body exactly. imaging. So some days I just read scans and some days I see patients. And yeah. that's part of, for me, what makes it fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So do, do you see uh, your work kind of reflected in the way you treat patients now and or like taking a different approach at all after so many years of looking at these kinds of philosophical questions?
0: I guess it's reinforced my, my sense of trying to really – Treating Take, the whole human. Treating like, the whole okay. person, exactly, and, and, and thinking about them, uh, as we like to say. I mean, not just a biological mm-hmm. specimen, so to speak, but as someone who has a, a psychological, a social, a spiritual uh, right. aspects of themselves, dimensions of themselves. And that is something that needs to be taken care of. We see a lot of patients in our integrated medicine center who have chronic conditions like irritable bowel and chronic fatigue. And, and a lot of times things like stress and, and uh, their Anxiety. relationships and, yeah. Uh, you right. know, uh, all of those uh, elements can become part of that whole process. Yeah. And and if we don't address them as well as whatever's going on biologically, mm. then we may not we may not help them. And people can get very sick simply right, by right, right. stress. But then there's still a physiological thing that's going exactly. on, and and, and we so need to work with that too. Kind of treating both sides of exactly the
1: the whole person, I guess. Yeah. In your personal life, how have you kind of dealt with your own wellness and keeping yourself spiritual and maybe if it's taking five minutes of the day, what's like a practice that you kind of
0: stick to for yourself after taking all this research. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I, I like to exercise a lot. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, and I think physical activity is always important. Um, I, You know, for me, a, a lot of it, I, I don't do a, a formal kind of practice or at least a named practice. I, don't, I can't okay. tell you I do, you know, mindfulness yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But in many ways, the whole process that has been part of my journey has been an ongoing uh, philosophical meditation, if you will. So uh, I do spend a considerable amount of my own time reflecting on these things not so much really even for health so much as as part of this right, intellectual right, curiosity yeah yeah and and trying to explore those kinds of questions so so that's something that that I do and i guess you know to some degree all of this does help to put different things into perspective and try to make sure that we take things the right way and, and work with people as effectively as possible and be empathic and compassionate and open right, to right, other right. people. So so those are things that I definitely have continued to work on myself. And and as we've learned, you know, part of what we try to do, um, uh, we wrote what I thought was kind of a fun book called Words Can Change Your Brain several years ago. And we use neuroscience as a way of helping us understand the best ways to communicate. And so what neuroscience tells Us, for example, is that the brain can only hold on to, you know, 30 seconds worth of information at a time. So if you're getting into a conversation with somebody or an argument with somebody, to go on for 10 or 15 minutes is not helpful yeah, you know yeah. so we say speak shortly speak briefly you know uh, try, just we, yeah exactly <laughs> and 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 we talk about being mindful and, and 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 watching your own reactions to people so those are things that can really be helpful I think in terms of trying to to communicate effectively with people and and similarly when we talked uh, we wrote a book called how enlightenment changes your brain mm-hmm. and we talked about different approaches to achieving enlightenment and there's certainly no one way one, to do it exactly. each person has to find their own path but but there are commonalities and we talk about patterns and yeah yeah yeah, how, how to prepare oneself different rituals and practices to explore working on ways in which not only does one go after it but also waits for it there's sort of a balance mm. there and then how if one is fortunate enough to have that kind of transformative experience how one incorporates that transformative process back into your everyday yeah, beliefs and reality and, and your behaviors yeah, uh, yeah, yeah so so yeah so I mean all of it kind of helps to, to bring things together we always continue to learn and develop but it's it's been a great journey for me personally I, I hope it obviously continues and yeah I- not more to discover and uncover (laughs) but i'll continue to with my own pondering to to figure things out as best as i can uh, the more
1: answers the more questions that's right (laughs) that's right (laughs) well there you have it listeners an enlightenment manifesto brought to you by doctors who create (laughs) just kidding but we do hope this conversation prods you and makes you think about the huge role religion and spirituality have in literally being able to change our body's chemistry and what role they have in understanding and treating our patients. Thank you to Dr. Newberg for agreeing to be interviewed for this podcast. Make sure you check out his many books on neurotheology if you haven't. Our podcasts at Doctors Who Create are led by Darlene Liu and me, Shiv Nadkarni. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback about today's episode or any of our past episodes, please tweet us at Doctors Create. Today's music was brought to you by the band Nightfloat and YouTube's audio library. And as I'm sure Dr. Newberg would advise, we wish you all a mindful and reflective rest of your day.